I had this dream once that I went to McDonald's and ordered McNuggets, and when they asked me what sauce I wanted, I said hotcake syrup. Oh, gosh. Hello, my name is Susie Youssef. And my name is Alexi Toliopoulos. And this is The Big Film Buffet. Where we serve up a three-course meal of movies designed to honour the Netflix premiere of the week. This week, though, we're doing things a little differently. We're casting our minds back to a movie that, truthfully, we have not been able to stop thinking about. Oh, it has really been haunting us both, and it is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, featuring Aussie icon Toni Collette in one of her most bizarre roles. I couldn't believe this movie came out just before this podcast started. We had to talk about it because I am still thinking of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. We're still going to serve up a starter with a genre-defining classic and a dessert field of weirdo recommendations. First of all, we are hobbling around the studio today, or one of us is, because a little injury. Yes, I've got a severe injury on my very aptly named Achilles tendon. Wow. I don't know what it is. My foot hurts. Like heck, I can't walk, I'm hobbling around. But this happened in the most unlikely of scenarios. Yes, I'm a tremendous sportsman. I was running around the entire world and who should know I went too fast and I hurt myself. (laughs) Or the truth being, (laughs) when I got a massage and it got rubbed a little too good. My friends treated me to a foot massage so I could (laughs) freaking unwind before watching a movie and they rubbed a little too much maybe and now I can't walk anymore. Thank goodness though it does not affect your voice box and the thing that's been running around in both of our minds ever since we watched it was I'm thinking of any things and we cannot go another week without talking about this film. Now instead of rolling your ankle let's roll the trailer. <laughs> How dare you! Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. So cute. Real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. (laughs) You're getting creeped out. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think of ending things. Hello? We're here. Oh, hi. Here they come. Jeff has told us so much about you. He's told me so much about both of you, too. And you came anyway. (laughs) Jake tells me you're studying quantum psychics. Physics. Really? But there's just something profoundly wrong here. Are you okay? (laughs) Susie, you're on edge. I'm so edgy and I've seen it. I gotta say, once a year there is a trailer that becomes the best short film of the year. And I think that is this year's version of that. Yeah, it is gripping. You have like a teariness in your eyes. Oh, look, I'm not crying. I know I cry most episodes. I'm not crying right now, but I'm definitely a bit breathy. Like it just mm. is one of those films that even though I know what happens, I'm a little bit on edge. Yeah, I think that's the kind of magic of this movie is that it like compels you to fall down this rabbit hole of weirdo ideas and escape yourself and escape reality. I've seen this film described as a psychological comic thriller, not 
Not a genre that you stumble across every day. And also as a cerebral horror. But it's a Charlie Kaufman mm. film. So he's the writer and director of this film. And honestly, he kind of defies traditional classification. Like, what would you call it? Yeah, I think we have to, like, invent genres to talk about Charlie Kaufman. But I would declare this of kind of falling under this umbrella category of modern American intellectual surrealism. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> Maybe we call it maze. Oh, it's maze. Yes. That's what we're going to call it. Okay. Maze. Modern. American. Intellectual. Surrealism. Maze. So it's absolutely wackadoo. He's basically a unique cinematic genre all to himself. Surrealism has always really been a part of film as a way to visually communicate abstract and complex ideas like feelings or emotions in a way that an audience can understand. So if you were to describe it to a five-year-old or to me, <laughs> like how could you help us understand it a bit better? Well, funny you should say that because the example that I was thinking of is how the Pixar movie Inside Out really effectively assigned characters to feelings in a way that probably helped children and parents talk more frankly about emotions. I love that movie. These are the kind of movies that stick in your head because they give you an image to an idea. Yep. They visualize something that doesn't exist in a visual realm. They create the image for you. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this kind of not very good Robin Williams movie called What Dreams May Come. I was about to say, how dare you, but (laughs) now I totally agree. It's this movie where he goes to heaven and hell and they're painted like these oil paintings. Mm. And I tell you, not a goddamn day has gone by where I haven't thought about that movie because that's how I think of the afterlife now is how they interpret in those like oil painting way in yeah, that movie. Totally. We watched this movie around 20 years mm-hmm. ago and it's the sort of thing that has actually shaped us as human beings. Absolutely. That, that strong image of the afterlife. It's crazy. And it's not even that good, but it's no. just stuck around. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. And Kaufman is pretty tired with American cinema dipping into more complex narratives through that indie film movement of the 1990s that saw mainstream audiences branching out and making minor hits out of weirdo stuff like being John Malkovich and bona fide Oscar nominated best of all time lists like the starter we're going to talk about today. Yes, and that starter is the messed up romance, relationship, drama, comedy. What genre is this? We don't know. <laughs> affected by it. The film is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. This is a hoax, right? I assure you, no. Is there any risk of brain damage? It's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. After a bad breakup, Clementine, played by Kate Winslet, has a procedure to erase the memory of her ex-boyfriend, Joel, who's played by Jim Carrey. Now, when Joel discovers this, he has the same procedure, but will he regret it? Will love find a way, or is lost love just too painful to remember? And are some relationships harder to understand than science fiction? Alexi, I was totally shocked when you told me that you had not seen this film before. I want to know, when you watched it... (laughs) What was your immediate reaction? Well, my immediate reaction was kind of like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I think like going back to like this era, because this was like around the time that I was really getting into film when this came out mm-hmm. and seeing people latch onto it, there's like this idea of going back to those things that like makes me feel uncomfortable. Like what if they don't live up to the, my expectations oh, or gosh, what if I came to it at the wrong time in my life? And I think like my preconceived notion of this movie was that Kate Winslet role. She's playing that manic pixie dream girl. Like kind that, of the original manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. 
exactly. And I think that's what I was nervous about, yeah. that it was like that typical thing of like this quirky girl who's here to wake up some sad fella out of like his routine, boring life. But watching this, I was shocked by how it's like a total decimation of that idea mm. before it even became like this long-running trope. It's subverting it all before it even exists. And it calls it out straight away. She's yeah. like, I'm not going to be the one to fix you. I think the whole movie is kind of all about dismantling any expectation you have of the genre and characters. If you could eternal sunshine someone, delete someone from your memory, from your mind, who would it be? Oh, that is the easiest question in the world. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, it is actually. There's not many people that I that I would say have affected me in the way that my year eight maths teacher has. So Mrs <laughs> Evanson said to me, In year eight maths, I do not remember the context. I just remember the pain of being called (laughs) cynical and I did not know what cynical meant, so I just assumed the worst. Turns out I am quite cynical, but (laughs) she nailed it. Yeah, she she nailed nailed it. it. She hit me right in the heart and I just I I wish I could get rid of that memory because I feel like it's plagued me for some reason. That's the idea. You've got to get rid of something that plagues you, right? Exactly. Something that's like really hurts you in some way. Oh, if I could get rid of anything, it would be a thing. Not a one, not but a, a one. thing. Of course not, because you do love people and they love you. Yes. The movie The Grinch has stuck with me for so long. Ooh. I just want to get out of my head. You're turning green talking I'm, about it? It upsets me. I just That movie gets under my skin. I hate that like face makeup Jim Carrey wears. I hate his <laughs> green fur in it. It's made out of real human hair. Knowing that disgusts me. I feel like you're levitating off your chair. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I'm not an angry guy, but this is my one source of anger and I need it to be moved from my mind. Delete I, it. I actually feel the same way about the movie Ghost Ship. Oh, starring Alex Dimitriotti is in a small role. Oh, well, I didn't know about that because I think I've tried to erase this from my mind. (laughs) I've never seen the movie, but I'm familiar with his filmography. That's how I know about its existence. I completely understand that. (laughs) I think the reason that I want to get rid of this one is because my best friend Kate and I were supposed to meet our mate Joe at the cinema and Mm. he never turned up and it was (gasps) his choice of film, not a a film that we would have chosen. And so we suffered through this horror film where like I think something like 100 people die in the first three seconds. We were traumatised by it. I pray not Dimitriades, so you made it till the end. (laughs) So you have Eternal Sunshine, The Grinch. The what? I've never heard of it before. And you, you. Mrs. Evanson? (laughs) Uh, Who? Uh (laughs) It worked, it worked. It's kind of a crazy concept. Mm. It's not an easy film to watch, but I still kind of loved it. Yeah, I think it's because it's so clever with how it introduces these far-out ideas. For one, the cinematography is gorgeous. It's kind of like these muted colours, yet it's shot in this very documentary-esque way, that handheld camera, which allows like the film to feel very grounded and very real and very visceral so that when we introduce these surreal ideas, they are in a way that we are accustomed to because we are set in this version of reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because of that, it's this really tasteful introduction for audiences to the surreal mind of Charlie Kaufman, a mind that is full of comedy, full of big grandiose ideas mm-hmm. and very interesting storytelling techniques. And without a crossover art house hit like this, I don't think he would have ever had the pull to actually become a director, not just a writer, but a writer-director. Yeah, this was kind of like the breakout hit for him that mm. could have gone a couple of ways. Like He could have gone down a more mainstream path, but he did not do that. Not at all. 
And he's working with huge actors in this film. It's not just Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. There's Kirsten Dunst. There's Mark Ruffalo. There's Elijah Wood. Like mm. David Cross. There's so many big actors in this film, but it's so left of center. It's so yeah. art house, and yet it broke through. I think because it hit on a nerve that a lot of people would feel in mm. relationships that they want to forget. It's a common idea, a common feeling translated into a very visual and interesting idea. And that, at the core, is what Charlie Kaufman is about. Yes, this is an example of him at his best as the ultimate overthinker, just that mm. insight into this anxious brain that is brilliant but terrifying. Which, of course, now brings us to our main, our film du jour, the film of the day. I'm thinking of ending things. Written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Nothing is as it seems when a woman experiencing misgivings about her new boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents on a remote farm. Now, look, if I said it with that tone, you would have an idea about the feelings I have towards this film. But look, it could be the description of romantic comedy. Listen to this. (laughs) Nothing is as it seems as a woman experiencing misgivings about her boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents on their remote farm. Like, it could be anything. (laughs) And the thing is, this film starts out as what could be a romantic comedy. Yeah, it's a very uncomplicated way to describe a film, but this film is anything but uncomplicated. I mean, I think that's what this movie is about, Susie. It's tapping into those feelings. It's bringing, like, a visual sensation and an oral nightmare to the idea of what it's like, that feeling of awkwardness, that uncomfortableness of when you go out of your comfort zone and go to that high-pressure, high-stakes scenario of meeting your new partner's parents for the first time. Totally. Where you unlock the baggage of their life. Yeah, and it starts off with the feelings of nervousness, Mm -hmm. but I think this film takes it to another level. So it kind of goes from like the nerves of what could be a quirky little film Mm -hmm. to the surreal nightmare that it becomes. Yeah, I think so. I think that this really taps into that idea, that nightmare logic where things don't quite make sense. There's like surreal tangents. There's weird little things that stick out to you the way it does in a nightmare. We get fixated on these ideas of things that don't feel real, but in the moment, they feel completely real. Oh, as a kid, I used to hallucinate a lot. Like I used to have these horrible (gasps) dreams when I'd get sick Yeah, and I would have those tiny wooden blocks that are a centimetre cubed. Oh, the centimetre cubes, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I got MAB blocks when I was growing up. And I would have these horrible nightmares that I would have to fill the room with them. And at the time it was very real. I think the root of that is from Tetris. My sisters Mm. and I were really competitive with Tetris and that whole idea of having to fit things together. And as soon as I'd get sick, that's what I would have these nightmares about. When I was a kid, my nightmare that would recur to me would be like, because I'm this only child, <laughs> that my parents had another kid. I had this little brother or sister, and I was the only one that could tell there was something wrong with it. Oh there was like gosh. this little demon spawn. Well, that's like the reverse of like my actual <laughs> dream, because I'm one of six girls. I would dream constantly that I was an only child and all the attention was mine. Oh, gosh. You felt that we could flip the script? We're so messed up. If you don't mind me asking, what are the ones that you have now? I I actually still have quite vivid dreams, but I have a recurring dream from childhood about a toilet door being too short. I think it's just needing to go to the toilet when you're asleep. Mm. Do you have the same thing? 
mine now are all about fast food, weirdly <laughs> enough. I had this dream once that I went to McDonald's and ordered McNuggets, and when they asked me what sauce I wanted, I said hotcake syrup. Oh, gosh. And then the next day I was like, you know what, i got to go out and try I this. I think I would try that. And when I ordered it, the person was like, oh, wow, man, I haven't heard that hack before. Where did you hear it? And I was like, oh, yeah, some friend told me because I was too ashamed to go, it came to me in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> but what are those signifiers in the movie? What are those elements that feel like that nightmare logic stuff? Look, I don't want to spoil the film in any way, but I have a theory on this movie. Mm-hmm. First of all, I watched it twice, and the second wow. time I watched it, I enjoyed it more. So I don't feel like there are actual spoilers here. I it's feel like it's hard anything. to spoil something this weird. No, I think they're enhancers. So mm. the things that come up for me in this movie that I will never forget and may dream of until I'm dead are <laughs> a talking pig. Yep. There's a disappearing dog. Mm -hmm. There are so many kind of creepy animals and motives in this film. There's like a mysterious janitor. Mm -hmm. There's a creepy ice cream shop. There's a swing set in the middle of nowhere. There's a dance sequence, which I love and I'm absolutely into. But the list just goes on and on of these really surreal, nightmarish moments. And they kind of feel like, what are they? Do they mean anything? But by the end, they kind of do create like this kind of cohesive meaning, this understanding of what really is going on behind, I'm thinking, of ending things. Yeah, totally. What I loved most about this movie is the acting. I think everyone's perfectly in tune, but they're all doing something really different. What really stands out to me, though, is the iconic, the wickedly talented, one and only Toni Collette. She is one of the greats, and she is doing some truly MFing Mother Jeff and bonkers <laughs> acting in this movie. This is the weirdest I've ever seen her. And, and that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, that is saying a hell of a lot. I am going to put this to you. This is my hot take out okay. there that Tony Collette is the new Nicolas Cage. Break that down for me, please. Oops. Allow me to. It's going to be my absolute pleasure to do it. I think that the way audience has kind of like embraced Tony Collette as like this new cultural icon is that they, like Nicolas Cage, have created like all these memes around her because mm-hmm. she does these really big and bold and exciting performances that can just be used and utilized for fun. But she does this thing that's very Nicolas Cage in her performance that I like, where she goes between raw, honest emotions and expressionistic external interpretation of deep emotions. The way that only Nicolas Cage does, I think they're like two peas in the pod, and I would love to see them switch faces in some movie if that were freaking possible. There is like some light shining out of you right now. You're completely <laughs> excited by this idea. <laughs> but I think that's like what this movie does so well, is like that she fits so well into it because she does do that expressionistic type of acting where it's like what emotions feel like but don't necessarily look like. Yes. She's able to extrapolate that and do it in this really bold and exciting way. And it's all about this dinner table setting. Yeah, this meet the parents moment. Yeah, and like meet the parents. If I've got nipples, Greg, can you milk me? (laughs) Well, that's my favourite Meet the Parents moment. Uh, But in this film, the Meet the Parents moment, it's like at that dinner table, you've got Toni Collette as the mother. And she's completely unhinged. Mm. And then opposite her, you've got that really clueless David Thewlis character. He plays the father. Yes. And he's doing something so weird and interesting in this movie, playing with like status and different comedy notes. Yep. And he's just like a master actor. And it looks like they exist in this strange world in this kind of like farmhouse Mm. setting. 
when they enter that world, it just feels wrong. Mm. It feels really high stakes and really dangerous. I think this is like a real masterclass of different styles of acting coming together to make this really cohesive tapestry, yep. this complete idea of what a film can be. Oh. Is the driver okay? Yeah, fine. So glad to meet you, Louisa. Oh, Jake has told us so much about you. Well, oh, he's told me so much about both of you, too. Oh, and you came anyway? <laughs> well, that's it. Well, the food will be as cold as a witch's tit in a brass brazier. And then it comes with this idea of time where we slowly start to see David Thewlis and Tony Collette at completely different ages throughout their lifetime. And it kind of becomes like this big encapsulation of the entirety of a relationship and how you feel stuck and how you can feel bogged down in it, extrapolated into this really crazy, visceral feeling. Yeah, it's kind of that Kaufman dreamlike state where it's mm. like time is irrelevant or time is, is super relevant. Like it just moves back and forward between different moments and you can't really tell what's going on. I feel a little bit breathy just thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, this is why it's stuck with us. Look at this. Weeks later, we're still trapped in this conversation about I am thinking of ending things. I think it's probably the most film buffy film that we've spoken about oh, big time. so far. And it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. It's not something that you just jump into casually. This is not a date movie. If it is a date movie, <laughs> make sure you're dating an ultra film buff when you're watching this. <laughs> I think that this is a good one to kind of like dip your toes into if you want to like get outside your comfort zone a little bit more or just like have something really weird wash over you and allow you to like critically think about something for a while. I totally agree. And as I said before, it's something that I think you should watch twice. I don't <laughs> often say that the more I learned about this film, the more I enjoyed it. If you've had a little insight into the minds of Alexei Toliopoulos and Susie Yusuf and now you're thinking, I could live here or maybe I could visit from time to time, then why not follow The Big Film Buffet on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure that you get new episodes of us talking about films, movies, all the good stuff on the reels as soon as it drops every single Tuesday. And don't forget to comment, rate, review, tell your friends, call up your old high school teachers and tell them how they've affected your life, but also recommend the podcast and don't forget to send us all the love you can muster. We have come to that time in our buffet where we need our palate cleanser. We're going to play our favourite game, film or movie. The lemon sorbet of this podcast. <laughs> we have got our producer Michael in here today to give us the title that we're going to classify whether it is a film or if it is a movie. Listen, I feel like the motion picture that I've chosen has to have come from the new Nicolas Cage starring Tony Collette herself. The feature... It's Muriel's Wedding. Muriel's Wedding, 1994, okay. directed by P.J. Hogan, <laughs> starring Tony Collette and Rachel Griffiths. Oh, Michael, you have stumped me for one second, but guess what? I've come back around with a complete answer and a complete dissection of Muriel's Wedding as a movie, as baby. A movie. Yes, this is a movie. It doesn't get any more Hollywood than a rags to slightly better rags story. <laughs> this is pure movie magic and cinema, the story of a young girl from pauper spit coming from a sad life into a much, much less 
sad life. <laughs> um, I think that this is a movie, baby. It's a romantic comedy. It's got ABBA. Any movie that has songs by ABBA will be classified as popcorn by me. This is a movie. And I could not disagree more. I have okay. to say that this motion picture is, in fact, a film. Mm. It's the story of a kleptomaniac in search of love that she will never get. I think it is a story of a young woman who deceives everyone in her life. <laughs> I think this is an art house film. Yes, ABBA is included, but not in the way that makes you happy, <laughs> in the kind of way that creeps you out. This is one of our most beloved comedies of all time. Oh, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. And it's a knee slapper. It really is. And it's one of the saddest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It is both a knee slapper and a tragedy. It's a tearjerker. <laughs> Michael, are you satisfied who wins film or movie? Is this a movie or is this a film? Listen, I feel like Susie wins. It's a film. <gasps> and purely because any motion picture with ABBA is a film. Oh, my word. Okay, Thank I'll you, accept it. Muir's Wedding has been inducted into the Film Hall of Fame. Well, Susie, I'm thinking of ending things. And by things, I mean the episode of the podcast (laughs) this week. And as always, we end things on a sweet note. We're going to give you some recommendations of some further viewing. I'm going to recommend you this movie, Susie. Oh, yes, I've not seen this. This is one that I really, really like that has stuck with me for quite some time. It's called Jim and Andy the Great Beyond. You know, and, and no one really knew what was real and not real half the time. I didn't know what was real and not real. It's on Netflix. It's a film from the mind of another Kaufman that bends reality, and that is Andy Kaufman, the comedian from Taxi and stuff. He's like one of the great comedy auteurs of all time, the biggest prankster in the world. It's actually about the making of the biopic about his life, The Man on the Moon, where Jim Carrey plays him. And it is like the weirdest performance from Jim Carrey. He really lost himself playing Andy Kaufman. He threw himself into the role and he refused to like break character. And this is a documentary all about him losing himself to this character, Mm. becoming Andy Kaufman and... It's one of the best movies I've ever seen about acting, one of the best movies I've ever seen about making movies, and honest to gosh, it's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I have heard so much about this, but I have not seen it yet, and I definitely will. Another recommendation that I want to make is the film Adaptation. Mm -hmm. So this is another Charlie Kaufman, and it is Nicolas Cage and Meryl Streep. How can you possibly go wrong here? Can I say it's Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, and Nicolas Cage? You can say that. That is completely true. It's also an insight into the mind of Charlie Kaufman, and it's a bizarrely awesome film. I watch this every year. Like, I have a moment yeah. every year where I'm like, I need to touch base with adaptation. It has everything. Like, it is a cerebral, psychological situation going on, but it's also like a thriller and a, it's yes. a romance. It, there's so much to it. I absolutely love it. It's a brilliant movie and the way that it plays with reality is second to none. And if you need a little bit more of a meta moment with Charlie Kaufman, (laughs) then there is a podcast that BAFTA do where Charlie Kaufman talks about screenwriting. I mean, yes, he does talk about screenwriting in it. For me, it's just like a life lecture and it's kind of incredible stuff. So I can't recommend that more. I kind of feel like I'm breaking the rules by recommending a podcast on another podcast, but I'm standing by it. And if there's any episode to break the rules on, to bend reality with, we're talking about the Charlie Kaufman episode. We're allowed to do it for goodness cake. Well, speaking of cake, of course, our dessert was Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, an adaptation. And our main was I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And we started things with a lovely little treat of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. 
That was a weird and wonderful menu, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I am brain fried. Well, I'm actually the smartest man in the world, <laughs> so I could handle it completely. <laughs> Susie, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Alexi Toliopoulos, thank you so much for your brain. And if you want to hear a bit more from me, you can head on over to another podcast I host, Total Reboot, where we talk about reboots, remakes, and ripoffs in cinema. And guess what? While we do it, we're actually pretty funny and weird. <laughs> Speaking of funny and weird, we will be back next week with another podcast. And that week, which is next week, is a bonus episode with a few surprises. We're doing a little bit of a bonus treat episode with our good friends, Auntie Donna. So it's three times as much fun, but if you count us, it's five times as much fun. Oh, and I am counting us. This episode was written and hosted by Alexi Toliopoulos and Susie Youssef, produced by Michael Sun and Anu Hasbold, edited by Jeffrey O'Connor, executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 